All right. Well, let's get started. Um, thank you all again for being here. Um, kind of the first question to open up is just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how long you've been a member here at OC? And any other relevant facts you would like to share? <laughs> I'm looking at me. I'm, I'm looking at you. <laughs> okay, so. great. Um, and my name's Jennifer Thompson. I think I'm almost all. Um, and I joined Otter Creek when I first moved to Nashville back in 2005, um, which is going to sound like a long time until Fletcher and Neil talk. So I've been around first the old building and then Brentwood. Um, I moved to Boston for a hot minute, and then when I came back, um, West End was going, so I've been going up there since since mid-2020, so, um, yeah, I worked at Vanderbilt for a long time, now I work for a Medicare Advantage company, I have five nieces and nephews, two brothers, should talk about them, um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I'm Fletcher. We've been here since 1973. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by our family. Relevant information. Ooh, I saw kids here. Um, and I'm grateful to Otter Creek for many things, but that's really how I'm all this because it was really a good place to raise children. Mm -hmm. Very supportive of families. And, um, we've got three. Um, one is here with her family, Amy and Chris Welch, and they're nine grandchildren. And another one that's kind of a grandchild, he's too old to be adopted, but he's come to live with one of the kids and mm -hmm. wants getting married, so yeah. We're both retired from education person. Awesome. Awesome. So as you know, we're talking about the fruits of the spirit. Um, so do you have a memory associated with a fruit? A real fruit, not a not a theological fruit, a fruit of virtue, but um, a, you know, it might be that first fresh peach of the season or something where you're just like, man, that was just transcendent. Um, you know, for, for example, um, when I was in Jamaica once, I had a mango at like peak mango season in June. It was right off the tree. And I've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> I've never been able to have something that good. Um, I don't have like a specific memory, but the first thing when I read your question is mm -hmm. like when I moved to New England, I'd never really had rhubarb before. Mm. And then I got some rhubarb, and I guess the rhubarb season is longer there. I don't know, but I was like, where is this fruit, and I, why have I never had it in my life? So I'm now like on a search for rhubarb. It is rhubarb season, and I want more of it. It's delicious. Mm. Cool. So if anybody sees any. <laughs> like baked into something, or you like in a pie, you can yes. compost it with it. Yeah. You can make it's personal. It's you don't just eat rhubarb. Like no, that would be a little much. But yeah, just a little bacon or something. Like I oh. had a coworker tell me about that. And I was like, that sounds weird, but I'm into it, mm -hmm. and it was good. So yeah, very versatile, but hard to find here. Well, I think most fruits have such a spectrum of uh, quality and flavor. <laughs> when they're really good to just ordinary. Yeah. Um, I think that particularly may be true of uh, pears. I think of a really good Harry and David pear as being something special. Mm -hmm. But sometimes pears often are not. Many years ago, when you would freeze for you put them in a sugar syrup, you have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. But I have a vivid memory of my grandmother would go and buy big 
cream, like creams of, of strawberries when they were in peak season and then put them up in the freezer and they would enjoy all year round. But you would make this sugar syrup and you would pull and wash the strawberries and put the strawberries in there. I remember going through her kitchen all day grabbing the strawberries. And by the end of the day, I didn't like strawberries very much. <laughs> they were all the good. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we don't have a video this week. I guess we have outpaced the Bible Project. Um, it's just weird. And they weren't even Fruit of the Spirit videos. They were just different videos they'd made, but they matched like perfectly the first half of them. Now the bottom half don't have anything. Um, so I, I know I didn't put this on the email, um, but kind of if you were to define kindness, like what's... You know, what What makes kindness different from maybe something like goodness or some of these other um, fruits? What What would kind of be your working definition? Because kind of thinking about this uh, while you're thinking about this class, like, for me it's like putting yourself in the shoes of the, of the other person and then like acting on that in a way that makes okay. sense. So it kind of, I guess I'm thinking off the cuff here, but like it kind of requires two people or you know another person mm-hmm. to be kind whereas you can be good by yourself probably but mm-hmm. being kind usually involves another person mm-hmm. you ask about a verse and first of all I'm like, I don't have a kindness <laughs> verse mm-hmm. um, and, and there probably are but there's, there's but, but it's just so, it's in, it's so intrinsic into the, mm-hmm. the golden rule and then for others as you would have them do to you. And yeah, you're right, it, it's it's interactive with someone else as opposed to just peace might be much more about yourself or joy, but this one requires yeah. someone else. And, and requires hopefully seeing the world from there, basically. So, so as far as verses or chapters or parables, there's nothing really that comes to mind with kindness. I was going to say the golden rule too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a pervasive. Yeah. I mean, it's it, you can't pull it out. Mm-hmm. It's just intrinsic. Yeah. Like there's so many stories of Jesus being kind. Like I thought about you know the woman who was caught in adultery and like how his actions towards her. It wasn't explicitly about kindness but he showed so much kindness in mm-hmm. that and so I think it's more exactly at this point like it's just yeah. everywhere but I had trouble coming up with like this is the verse about kindness <laughs> I also give the same example that you, uh, you mentioned I think um, doing to others mm-hmm. which is really the essence of kindness I think you think about what the other person I, I remember thinking that when Jesus comes back and Lazarus is God and, and it, all of this is interesting, assuming that he knows exactly how this is going to turn out and what. But he still is so empathetic mm-hmm. with with his sisters, even though he knows it's it's truly going to be okay. Um, but he there's a kindness with their feelings and their circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even thinking about like the Sermon on the Mount, you know, <laughs> loving your enemies, yeah. carrying their coat. Um, or no, giving their coat, carrying their load mm-hmm. um, in those yeah, and it's like it's, you know, if you're just kind to those who are kind to you then you're no different than the pagans but it's that, like, loving your enemies is that really next step um, 
where's my where's my other sheet? <laughs> there we go. Um, so as we've kind of talked about um, in our introduction class, fruit trees take a long time to grow. It's not like tomatoes or peppers, you can put them in one season. You know, this takes years and years and years. So are there any stories from your past of people who have kind of planted kindness and that kindness has shown throughout generations? Maybe from your family history or just growing up in your community? I was thinking about, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this and trying to think of an example, and you know, I, I think similar to what we were talking about in the Bible, like it's just been kind of everywhere. And, you know, I've been very fortunate that way, but like it's been kind of everywhere growing up. But I was thinking about my mom, and she is very much like a behind-the-scenes person. Mm-hmm. Like her idea of hell would be to be on a stage of any kind. <laughs> um, but she is so good at like. When I moved back to Nashville, they, long story, but they actually saw my house before I did. And when I got to the house, there was like this bucket full of like all these things that she was like, Jennifer's going to need that. Mm-hmm. And the things I never would have thought about. But she was just <clears throat> put like this big gift basket together, basically, of all very practical things because that's, that's how my mom rolls. Um, and it was just so thoughtful. And like you could tell she was like, all right, if I'm moving into a new house, this is what I'm going to want. And just like she's done that my whole life and just mm-hmm. seeing that like, Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and like doing what you think they need and what they want has been a really good example, I think, of kindness for me and her in, in a very specific way that makes sense with her personality. Mm-hmm. Perhaps this is true of all good deeds, but I think kindness particularly begets kindness. I think mm-hmm. when you have been treated kindly, it is easier to engender the desire to do that. And I do have one very prominent memory. Um, my father's mother lived about an hour and a half from here. Um, and as a child, I was, on one side, I was one of 20 grandchildren. On the other side, I was one of two. Oh, wow. And so very different experiences. I, this was the one, the one of two. And I was, I was much closer to that grandmother. And, um, she died when I was, a, we were married. I had three kids by that time. Um, died suddenly, and um, it was the holiday. It was a Fourth of July weekend, and it was during a time of kind of gas shortages. So all of these are kind of pieces to this. Anyway, um, we um, were at the funeral home. This is a full hour and a half to maybe two hours away from Nashville, and this is my father's mother. I'm sorry, I'm making this too much of a story. But my mother's cousins walk in the funeral home and I had no expectation and I knew she had no expectation that they would spend the better, more than a half a day frankly to drive up and drive visit and drive back mm-hmm. and it was such an unexpected kindness and I, we've gone to a lot of funeral home visits, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that for me, kind of, and I've had that same experience of seeing in someone's eyes, oh, I didn't expect that you would do that, and it just mm-hmm. feels good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're going to make me cry. I remember when there was like a caravan from my home church when, yes. my, when my grandfather died, mm-hmm. and my mom was just so surprised. She was yeah. like, y'all spent yeah. the whole day, it was three yes. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've been the beneficiary of kindnesses from 
so many people, from church, uh, family, from complete strangers, from mm -hmm. teachers, that uh, I could keep going for the rest of the day <laughs> with particular uh, cases, instances. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, it, too, that uh, I hope that the kindness that I've been the beneficiary of is, is, has uh, caused me to be more kind to others. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it can. Uh, I think the converse of that is sometimes when people are not kind, that it kind of escalates and ramps up and people become more unkind and uh, it, uh, you just have a, a lot of uh, what we see sometimes a polarization in this country now mm -hmm. that uh, not kind. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as we know living in Tennessee where it was very cold yesterday, it's not, a, it's not always growing season. Right, you know, the process of growing fruit is a period of kind of death and rebirth. That you always have the winter where the tree, all the leaves will fall off and it looks like it's dead, but then spring comes and there's the beautiful blossoms and it's great. Um, and you know, that process is like tied into a lot of biological, you know, the, the trees are designed to go through that process. Um, so in the same way with spiritual fruits, you know, sometimes there's periods where it's hard to show the fruits, um, but I think that those periods shape us. So my question would be, how have kind of the hard times, these periods of trial or trauma, shaped how you understand kindness? Thank you. 
of ways that I could listen you, do you find that sometimes it's much easier to show kindness than to maybe to ask for or, you know, I think it's it's much easier, at least in my case, to make food for someone who's, versus being like, hey, I could really use some food right now, we're mm-hmm. really, so why, why do you think that's, there's that difference has, there? I personally think it has to do with our American, um, I'm going to be independent, I don't need really mm-hmm. anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ms. Gill, you've taught kids for so many years. What have your kids taught you about kindness? About kindness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about just like a... <laughs> 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 you said, when you said something that being kind, I think there's frankly, easy, there's some people that are much easier to be kind to. Mm-hmm. 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 But... I think kids have taught me something about that. Now there are a few kids that hold on to grudges. I have a vivid memory of a child telling me he was mad at a kid that had done something to him two years previous. That is the real exception. For most children, it's a new day. And so when someone has slighted them or um, they can move on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found from children there's a real... Um, delight um, for the most part um, in, in, mm-hmm. in being kind and generous and they tend not to think about consequences, they'll give you a lunch money away without, oh yeah, I'm going to get hungry later I mean, I I find that very really quite inspiring in my experience, I'm sorry I care so much when I have made the effort to be kind to someone who is not so easy to be kind to, mm-hmm. almost always, I realize now yeah, that's where the energy needs because the one that is not easy to be kind to is the one that doesn't get much of it, it doesn't get much information. And I think we have a enormous dearth of affirmation and so all of us are in need of it and that's such a costing thing it's such an easy mm-hmm. if we just can do that and I was thinking about the, the kind of winter question mm-hmm. you asking about there have definitely been times in my life when like, I have not had the energy or just the, re- the inner resources um, to do the actions that I would normally do in, in the service of being kind to somebody else. You know, like, I don't have the energy to bake the metaphorical casserole. You know? <laughs> um, but on the flip side, I, it makes me appreciate all the more the times when I'm in that place and somebody has done something like that for me. And hopefully that kind of plants that seed so that when I'm, you know, recovered <laughs> from whatever it is, like, I have the energy to do that again and remember how much it meant to me. I remember one time, um, a friend of mine was going through a really, just really rocky time and he had me in town and stayed with me and all I did was, like, make him coffee and breakfast. Like, what you would do for anybody staying in your house. And he was just like, nobody's done that in so long. Like, he received it as just this huge act of kindness when I was just like, it's just coffee. <laughs> but, but, you know, it makes a huge difference to people when they feel cared for or what 
sa première année. Well, as Gail said, we've been very fortunate. I personally have not had very many hard times mm -hmm. looking back on my life. And what I might say that when I was quite young, there were a couple of times when uh, my dad died after that, and then not too long after that, our house burned. But I was so young, it didn't really impact me as much as it did those who were older and who would take care of me. But I received so much kindness from, uh, as a result of, of those things. Uh, mm -hmm. I was people to step up and help us out. Uh, after Dad died, there was family members and, who uh, took care of us. And uh, I, even uh, the president of the company Dad worked for for years after that provided uh, financial advice for my mother. He would come and sit and talk. I remember a couple of times, almost wow. every year, and he would come by and visit for a while. Uh, he, uh, it didn't turn out to be my career. I figured that I was going into the, into the printing industry. And uh, so he actually said that I could go to the printing school that he was a part of for three summers. And uh, so I did. And uh, I received a lot of kindness from the people there. Uh, this was uh, back when uh, the Korean War veterans and World War II veterans were coming back for a career, for a long career. So I was about 13, 14, 15 years old. These guys were 8 or 10 years older, which is not a whole lot, but at that age, it was quite a bit. But I can just remember that those guys were so kind to me mm -hmm. that uh, during lunch hour, we would play horseshoes or volleyball. I wasn't nearly as good as they were, so they were really good. But they always let me play, and uh, they uh, helped me in so many ways during those summers. Uh, and then, again, I could just Named so many times when complete strangers uh, have been kind to me. The time when my car broke down uh, in the mountains, and a guy at the country store said, "Spend the night with me." I'm sure that his wife, when I when I walked in, "What is this? You're bringing in? We don't know this guy." <laughs> Put me up for the night. They made breakfast the next morning, and so uh, just countless incidents of kindness. Mm -hmm. To me, and then I've got countless instances of kindness that others related to me to them. So well, anyway, yeah. I guess that's my answer, the best answer I can give to that kind of question. Yeah. And that that's really cool. Speaking of the veterans, people who have talked about trials and trauma, you know, coming back from the horrors of yeah. war, and still kind of taking this little fourteen-year-old oh, kid yeah, under yeah. their wing and showing him. Kindness, despite you know all the stuff that they experienced over there. Yeah. We're moving through these questions fast today. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have time to open it up for the classroom for questions. Uh, so the, so the last one I, I usually end on um, is so in our first class George Goldman had this line that you know. Jesus says we shouldn't judge, but we can be fruit inspectors. You know, because in the Sermon on the Mount, he says you'll know them by their fruit. Um, and so, you know, we can kind of try to sift good fruit from bad fruit. Um, so what, what do you think are some of the biggest ways that Christians kind of misunderstand kindness? Are there ways that you think as the church, or just as American Christianity in general, that we think we're being kind, but that's not true kindness. And kind of, how would you, um, yeah, just... Yeah, I, 
that's a good, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Doyle Dahl said something in a Sunday school class many years ago, and his answer was a little bit different. But basically, what he was saying was sometimes you say things just to get it off your chest, not really because it's going to help the person. And so I've tried to keep that in mind when I when talking to someone. Mm -hmm. Am I saying this just to get it off my chest, uh, or is it really going to help the person? Uh, that's that's one one thing. Another is uh, sometimes uh, we're enabled. I think sometimes we uh, provide something uh, that we enable someone that really doesn't help the person uh, that much. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think the other thing speaks just better than I can. You and Pat Ward talked about half for the children. The child for the past, not the child. So tempting to think it's the kind of thing to do makes something really, really easy for somebody. And if you read Dear Abby very much, I know occasionally, probably fairly frequently, somebody writes in, their in-laws have been giving them gifts to their children or something, but they really didn't want, really was not that helpful, really just more of a burden. So I think sometimes we give gifts, we think we're being kind, but we're really not. It's more for us than it is for the other person. Yeah. I was touched by you talking about just a cup of coffee. There are too many times when I have not done something because I couldn't do it in the style which I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the time and energy to do that, so I didn't do it. When really, a phone call or a text um, would have been better than nothing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I like to cook, and and so one of my ways I think of being kind is sometimes to include someone, take some, have someone for a meal, but. Too often, it would have been the right thing to do to invite and order pizza, mm. but I didn't do anything because I didn't have time to get it together the way my standard was. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. But that's ego. Yeah. I mean, if mm -hmm. I could admit it, that's that's ego. And the grandmother that overindulges the grandchildren with gifts mm. is feeding her desire to be the wonderful grandmother rather than what is the best for the grandchild that she wants. And I think getting our ego out of it is, for myself, getting my mm -hmm. ego out of it is an ongoing daily challenge. Yeah. Got a couple of examples of kindness which I maybe you will like to, maybe mean something to you. But, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a Wednesday afternoon class for older people, and uh, especially Rebecca often brings cards to send out to people who are sick and so forth. Um, well, this story is about Joe White. Some of you may know he's a member here. He's a journalist. Uh, he's retired now, but um, he came in one day with a card and he said, I want everybody to sign this card. It's to Phil Valentine. This was last summer. And Phil Valentine was in the hospital suffering from COVID. He said, I've disagreed with Phil Valentine, he was a journalist, he had some relationship. I've disagreed with Phil Valentine on a lot of things over the years, but I want Phil to know that there are people talking about him, so I want to send him this card. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, that was Joe White being kind. Mm -hmm. 
another uh, was an op-ed in the uh, paper in 2015. It was written by Tom Edgar, who was in school, high school with Yale. Some of you may know him. He's been an uh, advisor to uh, politicians, Lamar Alexander-Runn, to Bill the first time. But Tom Ingram was in uh, Charleston after the shooting uh, in 2015 when uh, someone went into the church on Wednesday night, uh, killed nine people, and one of them survived. Well, the article was about Charleston that he told about being in Charleston uh, after that, and he was stopped at a red light, uh, and then all of a sudden, blue lights came on. Well, that's usually a sign of something not good happening. And so he looked around, and sure enough, the blue lights were a police cruiser that was blocking the cross intersection. And then he noticed that there was an older black man hobbling across the street. Uh, and the policeman had turned on his blue lights and pulled up his cruiser to block the intersection so that that guy could get across the street. Well, when he did, lights off, the policeman went on his way. Black man may never have known, but to me that is just such a contrast between what you usually expect. This is in Charleston, South Carolina. A policeman stopped to aid a black man getting across the street. That is so counter to what we usually think of after all we see in the paper. That just really struck me. And I kindness by that policeman. I think this relates uh, on a little bit of a different topic, but I think um, when you're talking about sometimes kind of what we think is kindness is actually our ego, I was thinking about a related thing where, like, you know, I grew up in the South and like, I was always taught, like, be sweet, be polite, and that, those are good things, like, no problem with that, but I think we mistake it for kindness a lot of the time. And when I moved to New England, like, that was a culture shock because they're, they're not known for being sweet and polite um, necessarily. But I was talking to a coworker of mine about, like, just how differently people interact um, and how direct they're like here would be like hey how are you doing can you like do this for me how are you, are you having a good day all stuff and in Boston they're like hey can you do this awesome great things and it's just like a very different interaction um, but a coworker of mine was from the Midwest so he kind of got it he's like yeah there's there's a kindness in that directness too he's like well I'm gonna have to think about that because <laughs> I think we mistake it mistake being kind for being polite and like all the social purposes, which again, like I being enjoy nice. <clears throat> being nice, yes, exactly. Being nice versus being kind, um, they're different as a term a lot of the time. And like the motivation behind that niceness, like it, it can be a lot of different things. Sometimes it is kindness, but sometimes it's not. Like, just understanding where that's coming from and making sure that it is actually kind to the other person. I have one more story. This is a little bit of a stretch, but I think it's right. No, go for it. Um, to this. Years ago, um, as a part of an in-service, I took a two-day course in how to deal with angry people, which is an appropriate course for an elementary school principal to take. And um, the psychiatrist that taught it um, never made any reference to faith, but I as we got into it, I thought, wow, this this just lines up so well with basic principles of faith. But his whole point is that when people are angry, almost always they're not so angry about the particular thing or issue, but that in this they have felt 
disrespected or uncared for. And he said, so you can address changing the problem, but you're probably not going to get very good resolution until you address the feelings of not being cared for. So I've sat through 10 hours, well, more like 12 hours. So I go back, and the next week I'm at school, and I sent a message to some teachers about an activity, an evening activity that I want them to participate in. And I get a rather hostile re reaction from one of them. And I go back to my office and I pull out my school calendar and I list the very, very few times when they have to do anything after school. I mean, it's minimal. And I've listed them and I've written my email and just before I hit send, something, it must have been God, something hits me that it's not the issue, it's the not thing I cared about. So I erased that email and cracked another one that says, I don't know what I said, but I obviously didn't communicate that I appreciate you and I feel you're a wonderful teacher and I feel good about you. And somehow I feel like something has been communicated that didn't feel good to you, that it felt inappropriate or unfair or unkind. And I said, I don't know what it was, but I'm sorry, let's talk about it. And I kid you not, at that teacher's first break, she came into my office one night. And it has lived with me. Uh, I just think God used that to teach me a powerful lesson. That I could have been right, and I was right. What I was asking for was not crazy, I was. I was right. But being right just wasn't going to get us very far in our overall. And so I needed to give up being right mm -hmm. to find out what is what is going on between us. Um, years and years ago, there was a child psychologist that was part of a Gavi that worshipped here. His name was Chris Qualls. He did lots and lots of things here at church. He did lots of in-services for me at Lipscomb. But he, <laughs> he had lots of lines that I quoted. But the one that I remember the most is talking to teachers about talking to parents. And he says, no parent cares what you say until they know you really care about that child. And how often we go into something with our expertise, and we're right, and we've got something to tell, and we're just really wasting our energy until mm -hmm. we've really established that, we can, that, that they know that we care about the mm -hmm. That's not exactly kindness, but it's, I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it is though. It relates a lot to what we were talking about about the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes mm -hmm. and understand. Like in your case, you had to set aside your ego because you knew you were right, and I trust that you were right. <laughs> like, I'm sure I was wrong. Yeah, just that wasn't mm -hmm. that wasn't the question whether yeah. I was right or wrong. Right, mm -hmm. and but your ability to like read that and your email and see this is probably what she's feeling mm -hmm. and act on that. Um, I think that relates exactly to what we've been talking about. Like, what's the kind of thing to do in that situation? Is not respond in a defensive way or in like a I'm your boss way, but just really try to get to the root of it. There was an article that came out 
that you know that every year they rank countries as the happiest country, mm -hmm. and Finland has won it before. This is the fourth year in a row that they are they're the happiest country. But the U.S. has gone up four spots since last year. Nice. Uh huh. And so whatever I get on my out of my phone, but I thought I'd try to remember. There's like four categories that they like. Um, service to others, you know, all these these kinds of things that were because of COVID, people mm -hmm. did more of mm -hmm. yeah. um, to see about what I can do for you, you know, whatever, all this kind of stuff. And so it was like evidence that when people are doing more things for other people, that their personal feelings of happiness go up, even in a pandemic. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And so I thought that was kind of interesting that it's like sort of scientific, that doing things for other people, being kind to other people, is evidence of happiness on a countrywide, nationwide scale. But yeah, we went up four spots, so. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, statistics for me is asking a lot of questions right, right. now. Right. <laughs> Shut that down. <laughs> So we've got like five-ish minutes left. Do y'all have any questions or comments for our panelists? You kind of alluded to this. The one thing that it's brought up to me is that sometimes the kindest thing you can do for someone else is to let them serve you. And that's a really hard thing to do. Because it is our ego, but I think there's also a... Um, even if you don't... Even if you... Like within healthy terms, even if you don't need it, like you may not need that cup of coffee, or you know, and you know, but there's just something about accepting a gift. It's like a little kid giving you a coloring page that that has nothing of, of substantial value, but to that child, it has all the value. And I think that that is how when we see each other, we see that what it's like again, what's behind it. It's not the actual giving of is what's the, the hope and the dream of what I want you to receive by giving me that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's where, going back to all the way to the beginning, Jennifer said it's a, it takes two. I think there really is a component to that that I never thought of before of being kind to someone. Whether they receive it or not, there is that other it, it's to someone that you're kind to someone else. And there's probably some other ways you can talk about being kind to yourself. But you know, I just think that there, there is mm -hmm. that. And it's, um, it builds a relationship between yeah. two of you. So yeah, I definitely think there is like a spiritual des discipline to accepting a gift. Um, my, my grandma always tells me about her father, who his mother um, died during the um, pandemic of 1918 and um, kind of floated around. Basically his father, they had lots of siblings, just spread them out amongst the aunts and uncles. Um, and basically when he was like 17 or 18 um, was the depression and so he just rolled the rails and basically was a hobo for a while um, and then eventually you know got married worked in the car industry in Michigan for a little bit before moving back down to Tennessee and she was like he would always give if anyone needed help he would give but never once did she ever see him accept help from anyone and so I definitely think it's it's easy to do that first part of give because you pat yourself on your back it makes you feel happy you're good um, but to set our pride aside and be like no I I need help right now 
Um, and again, that just like starts to build a relationship that I help you when you need it and you help me when I need it. There's a really beautiful passage in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that talks about this kind of mutual that, you know, in your plenty you give, and then in your um, absence, your lack, they give. And just kind of this mutual um, giving that happens. I think that's really tied to kindness. In the how does the church misjudge kindness, sometimes we have a propensity to just cost money. Not that it's just not meaningless to give money. Or if we see somebody, we think if we give them money, mm-hmm. that's going to help. But what possibly the time, my time is probably more valuable mm-hmm. than my money. Or relationship I could have with somebody is more valuable than monetary things. And I think when we live in the place mm-hmm. that we have extra resources, we think the resources that someone can yeah. use, not, not me. And at yeah. the minimum, knowing that a smile is one of the kindest things you can make, especially mm-hmm. someone who's on the road, you don't, you know, if you don't have that time, you just mm-hmm. smile at them, acknowledge that they are a person. Yeah. It's huge. I see what you're talking about makes me think about, you know, um, so I work in tech now, which is a weird thing for me, but anyway, there, you know, a lot of computer science folks have like hackathons and they're like, they come in with their, you know, good intentions and they work all day Saturday to build like some very basic thing that they think is going to solve the problem. But um, a friend of mine went on Twitter, which is always a dangerous thing, but he wrote this thread and he was like, look, I've been on the receiving end of somebody's hackathon and they don't help. Like if you really want to help, you're in tech, you probably have some money, find an organization that's already doing what you think you want to help with. Um, and if you want to make a long-term career change, do that. Um, but don't just like go in for 12 hours on a Saturday and think you're solving the problem that lots of people have already been working to try to solve and they understand the barriers better than you do. Um, and just, it, it brought me back to like what we were talking about. Like what is the kind thing to do in that situation? Sometimes it is the money, you know, but sometimes it's not exactly to so like not just looking for the easy way to make ourselves feel good about helping, but trying to figure out like what is the best thing, what is the kindest thing I can do in this situation that's going to actually help someone. And that comes from relationships. Yeah. Right? If I don't know you, I may think, you know, giving you some money is going to help. But if I knew you, you'd be like, well, no, this problem actually, yeah. we need these other things to fix this problem. That's mm-hmm. just, that's nice, but it's not really going to do what yeah. you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's rare that, like, money has never really made me feel loved. Yeah. Versus, like, acts of kindness. It, it just is so different. Like, I like I can think of times where, like, me or my family were in need or, I don't know, in a struggling, desperate kind of situation. Um, and, you know, it's great. Thank you for, you know, giving money to do whatever. Um but like I like I get a paycheck and I don't feel loved from that. You know, like I also had to work really hard to do that. Um, and so it's just interesting, like yeah, like monetary values don't really come into play as often when you're trying to be kind to someone. It is much more about the how much time can I spend with you or what what do you really need? I think you were saying mm-hmm. that too, like it's really easy to just like give someone money. Um, and like I think we do that a lot with like our homeless population it's like oh well this person has a sign that says they need things 
I'll just give them ten dollars and I'll I'll feel good because I helped them. Um, when like really it'd be nice if you just pulled over and like had a conversation with them and found out what they really need. Oftentimes it is like I need money for X, Y, and Z. Um, but they might just feel better because you stopped and had a conversation with them. So I think about that a lot. Like it is like yeah, money just doesn't tend to create happiness and it doesn't feel like it's generous, just doesn't always come off as kindness. I think a lot of these things too, and it's related to the ego aspect that we're talking about, but there's a power dynamic absolutely right, in a lot of this. And so like to your point, David, like we feel kind of good about ourselves when like I'm in a position to give money, give time, make a casserole, whatever it is. But when you're receiving that it makes you feel like in some ways Yeah, it makes you feel small. Exactly. And that's that's not hard in pain. But it, I think on the flip side, exactly too hard. Like if I feel like, oh, I'm just going to solve this problem myself, that's a power trip that is not actually helpful. Yeah. And we'll, we'll end on this thought, but I think a lot of the difference in that is if it's me giving you something or if it's us giving you something. Yeah. Right? Is it, uh, you know, maybe sometimes the kindest thing to do is to organize, is to say, hey, Jennifer is going through this rough time. This is something we've done a couple times. Um, is everyone pitch in? I'm going to get an Uber Eats gift card. That way she can just she doesn't have to worry about cooking for you know or cleaning the dishes and um, like you know it's it's nice to give food, but if it's someone who lives in Florida or is you know you can't really do a meal train. I'll be mailing you a casserole. Um, but that and that that organizing takes more work, and it's not like you getting all the glory. But also it's like it kind of um, balances that power dynamic that it's not me giving you money. It's, hey, us, your community, your family trying are trying to take care of you. And I think that might sometimes change the perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for being here. And have a great uh, start to your week. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you.